housewives. Thanks so much for tuning in this week. We are excited that you are here. And this episode is going to be a little bit different than our typical episode, but impactful nonetheless. This episode, we are going to hear about two amazing Kansas City area teens, 17-year-old Chad Harrell and 16-year-old Reagan Johnson, who tragically ended their lives in 2017. Both teens were happy and making plans for tomorrow, next week, next year. Yet both teens ended their lives suddenly and without warning. Their moms, Sylvia Harrell and BJ Thomas Wilson, joined together through the common bond of losing a child, began to ask questions and research things that would have helped their children. Statistics show often teens are choosing to end their life in a snap decision. Lost in a moment of darkness, many teens go from thinking about suicide to acting on it in less than 20 minutes. Just 20 minutes to decide life isn't worth living. Both families realized that they had to do something to educate teens and the people who love them. Hashtag give me 20 was born. And I have a, such a personal story with this an, an incredible one at that, because I got to experience what this workshop is and can do for kids firsthand. My oldest actually was given this workshop in the fall of 2021 in his eighth grade class. And I remember receiving the email that this was going to be a workshop in the school. And it had told the email was brief and said, you know, your child could opt in or opt out. And this is what it would be for. Um, it would be for, you know, suicide prevention and bringing awareness. And I'd never heard of give me 20 before. So of course, like the mother that I am, I'm quite the researcher. I started to do the research and truly fell in love with the heart behind this mission. One, because it was local, it was personal teenagers making a tragic decision to take their life is something that is heart wrenching and something that no mother can fathom. And I remember talking to my oldest before along with my husband, because we talked about it and said, this is what it's going to be. We want you to listen, be attentive. And of course, Make sure that you are aware of your surroundings, see how your friends are responding to it, you know, have some conversations with your friends about what you are learning. And the most incredible box came home, his life box. After two days, we did have the opportunity to write a letter that they all, that we sent back to the school and the schools put the personal letters in from the families, but they also got to identify 10 things of who they are. Um, they got to say what their strengths are. They wrote a note of who they could count on and who they could reach out to if they were having um, dark thoughts. And there it was full of pictures and encouragement. And the goal is, is in 20 minutes, you can look at that box and take a dark thought and turn it positive. And I just revisited the box again last night before um, we recorded this interview, and it really is a gift. And that is what we want to give you guys in this episode is the gift of hope and shedding some light on a topic that we don't talk about too often. And BJ and Sylvia, they shared with us what some kids themselves had written on how it impacted them. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I can only imagine how hard it is for you to come and talk to us about your children. I appreciate all you are doing. This is an amazing resource that you provided us with. I went home that day and asked my family to all fill out a little note for me if I were in that situation. So I could put it in my box. You are truly saving lives. Thank you. The presentation really made me think about how something you say to someone else can really be so impactful and can either save someone or hurt someone. I realize that anyone around me, including the people that I am close to, can be having bad thoughts and people always need to be careful of that. And here's BJ and Sylvia sharing about Chad and Reagan. Chad and Reagan were kind and cared deeply for others. Chad and Reagan were both incredibly sensitive. Chad and Reagan had incredible senses of humor. Yes. They were both easy to anger. And they were both headstrong. In December of 2017, Reagan was preparing to take her CNA exam to be a certified nursing assistant. 
She was stressed and concerned that if she didn't pass the test, that it was gonna affect her dream of becoming a nurse. In June of 2017, Chad had gotten in trouble and he wasn't allowed to go to a party that he really wanted to go to. Chad was angry. Reagan was stressed. Chad was mad at his family and friends. Reagan was overwhelmed. Chad and Reagan both believed that they could do everything on their own. On June 12th, 2017, my buddy and little Rue tragically ended his own life. On December 7th of 2017, my fiery little redhead ended her own life. Okay, thank you both for sharing about Chad and Reagan with us. The way you describe both of their personalities and their characters, it's as if they would have been friends, but they weren't, right? And neither were the two of you prior to 2017. Can you tell our listeners about the story of how you two met? Like you said, we did not know one another prior to losing our children. Um, Sylvia lost Chad in June of 2017. We lost Reagan in December of 2017. It was right before the holidays. So um, we didn't really have access to, we'd heard about some support groups and things in Kansas City, but because of the holidays, they weren't going. Mm -hmm. Um, So I had it on my calendar, the very first available uh, support group for um, people who had lost a loved one to suicide was being um, held at Church of the Resurrection in Leewood the first week of January. And it was actually January 7th because it was one month to the day after we lost Reagan. And my husband and I went over there and I was terrified because I'd never been to a support group before. And we went to this support group. We met all of these people who had lost a loved one to suicide. It wasn't necessarily just parents. And Through the whole thing, this lady kept saying, you have to meet Sylvia. You have to meet Sylvia. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, I don't know who Sylvia is, but sure. And we were at at different tables. We were at different tables. And so (laughs) she just kept pointing over that woman over there. And I was like, okay. So then the end, she went and grabbed Sylvia and she was like, no, Sylvia's like, we have to get home. Mel's at home. Her daughter, like, we have to go. Like, I don't have time to hang around and talk today. And this woman, bless her heart, she was like, no, (laughs) you are going to meet this mom. (laughs) And so we talked briefly and exchanged phone numbers and went about our merry way. And we had started texting the next day and had arranged to meet for coffee that Saturday, just two days later. And I remember it was my first time to leave the house by myself And I told my husband, I'm not going to be gone that long. I'm sure I'm not going to talk to this lady very long. Like, what do I have to talk to her about? Like my kid is gone. Her kid is gone. But other than that, like, I'm sure we have nothing in common. And he was like, okay, (laughs) just keep me posted. Like he was worried. Sure. And I left and we met at Starbucks and like three and a half or four hours later, my husband's like, um, I was going to say, you okay. okay. Yeah. Are you <laughs> on you? All right. Hello. Do I need to come get you? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fine. Like we had so many things to talk about and just kindred spirits. And we've pretty much been together ever since. Like we function more like sisters. Like we think a lot similarly. Our hearts are in the same place. And our passion is the same. And so with just that connection was just instantaneous. And our passion is from the beginning is to keep even one more family from experiencing this heartbreak. And, you know, how you put that in place, you know, took us a little while to evolve to. But you'll hear pretty quickly in our discussion, is it, is it, you know, it solidified shortly thereafter on how we were going to put our story out there and help teens, families, those who struggled with their mental health. That's incredible. And I just have to 
the woman that said, no, you have to meet Sylvia. <laughs> like, don't you love those angels that God just, yep. the ones that speak like, no, you have to stay put, Sylvia. You have to. <laughs> we talk on a regular basis about how God has impacted this journey. You know, a lot of people struggle with God when they lose their children because they think, why would God do this to me? And we mm-hmm. had discussions early on that God didn't do this to us. God didn't take our children. God gave our children free will. Mm-hmm. And while he was so very disappointed in the decision that they made, he still loved them and embraced them and forgave them. But we like to believe that then God said, I want you to see what you've left behind. And now we're going to work together to try to write that path. And I very much believe that he put Chad and Reagan together and said, we're going to put your moms together and together. Not only are they going to help other families, but that's how we'll survive. Right. Absolutely. That's just such a a beautiful piece of connection and relationships that God puts in your life. Like you said, at that one meeting at the right time, you know, it could have been one time that Sylvia wasn't at that meeting or so forth, but it was just his divine intervention to have the two of you there together for that day to move forward into where you are now. Yes. Well, we we have been honored to have gotten to know you a little bit here over the last couple of days. And one of my greatest pieces that I get to talk to you guys about is your um, give me 20. It became a way to share your story and hopes that other families won't experience the pain that you have been through. I have a personal experience with this, um, having my son gone through one of your workshops. So can you tell us how this emerged and how really just take us through the journey of creating Give Me 20? (laughs) <laughs> the sprinkles were all over yes. this from the beginning. Do you want to start with the statistic? Um, yes. Everything that has happened over the last almost five years has definitely been the universe at work, God at work to try to guide us. I have an older daughter. So Reagan was 16 when she passed. She has an older sister and Riley really, really, really was struggling and we were trying to get her immediate help. So we pretty quickly plugged her into therapy and she did not like to be away from me. So she always wanted me to go with her to her therapy appointments and set in on them. And so as we were sitting there on the sofa at her counselor's office, one day we were talking, I can't even tell you what we were talking about, but the therapist looked at me and said, I can just tell that you're such an amazing mom. And I lost it because you don't lose a child in this way and walk away from that thinking I am an awesome mom. Like you just don't, you think that you are the worst mother in the world and how could this have happened? And how could I not have known and gotten my child the help that they needed? And so I said that to her and I was just sobbing. And she said, PJ, not every suicide is the result of a mental health condition. And I said, but of course it is like, it has to be. I had been in all of these support groups and reading online. And and that's what everybody talks about. And obviously my kid had an issue and I wasn't addressing it. And she said, kids make impulsive decisions and they can decide to take their life just because something bad happened to them. Maybe they flunked a test and they think they're going to get in trouble at home. Maybe their boyfriend broke up with them. Maybe they didn't make the football team. And they think in that moment, their life is ending. Like it's the worst thing that they could ever imagine. And they don't know how to deal with it. And she said, to be perfectly honest with you, statistically, sometimes that happens in like 20 minutes In 20 minutes, they just decide I can't handle this. And they start looking for ways to end their life. And I, you could have blown me over with a feather. Like it just, I was shocked by that information, but as a mom with a massively broken heart, it gave me strength. 
Mm -hmm. So I left that appointment and I'm texting Sylvia and I'm like, you won't believe what Elizabeth said today because we'd had that conversation. We both felt that way. That our, our kids were impulsive and they made this decision out of the blue because if we had been on guard for it, we would have been on guard. But because it was so impulsive, we were blown away. Mm-hmm. We did not know that we were going to be living under this avalanche. So when I, at that same time period, I was seeing my therapist who um, saved my life because of the tools that she used with me to get through this journey. And I am telling her that BJ had learned this statistic and just how could Chad give up everything that he loved because he had so much about life that he loved. He loved the ski. He loved the cross. He loved soccer. He loved his car. He loved music. He loved being with his family. And I'm sobbing saying, how could he just, just throw all of that away in Stevie's infinite wisdom? She said, well, maybe we need a box for the kids, a box where they can put those pictures and the reminders of what is good about their life and their dreams for the future. And we have this box that they keep with them and they continue to add to as they move through being a teen. So I got in the car and I left BJ a voicemail and we have the text. It was March 2018 where those two ideas converged and we came up with a hashtag and then the concept of a life box and started to put together tools that we could share with kids that they can use in their dark moments because we have just a plethora of tools that we've had to use to endure for ourselves. For ourselves. Yeah. So if we could share some of the things that we use with them then maybe it will help them get through 20 minutes because it's helped us get through almost five years. And that's how it all came together. The funny thing is, is that I remember after she had that conversation with her therapist and we were texting back and forth, we met for breakfast one day and we were sitting in this booth having a conversation. And, you know, my mind is immediately just exploding with, we could do this and we could do this and we could do this. And I said to Sylvia, you know, we could put this program together and we could present it in front of kids at schools. Like we could do this presentation in front of them when we could talk about these tools. And, and she was like, you are out of your mind. <laughs> we are going to stand in front of all these kids in a school and we're going to present this. Like, that's just not that's not it. Well, I, you know, I humored her, but we were, (laughs) I mean, we were really early and it, you know, just getting through the day was an accomplishment. So, you know, we were going through sharing ideas on how we get through a day to being in front of thousands of kids, which actually has now happened. And we've gotten much better at our tools to get through the day. It never goes away. We never put those tools aside. We use them all the time. But now we know how to uh, guard ourselves with what we can do and what we can't do. What it is now is not what it started as. Because we were in the place ourselves, we needed some self-preservation. We needed a way that we could start spreading a message, but not immersing ourselves in the world the way we are now. So it started as a pledge and I just started putting it out on social media and all my friends were sharing it of just when you find yourself in a dark moment, stop and promise that you'll take the time to try to remember all the things that are good in your life. And that's all it was. Like we just drove home that message of just take the time instead of spending 20 minutes, finding a way to end your life, spend 20 minutes, finding a reason to live your life. And that was the message. Populating that statistic with parents because it scared them. Our friends, our community members, that kids could be that impulsive. So it resonated with them that, oh my gosh, we need to get this story out and we need to help kids through those dark moments. So that's kind of how it came together. But God, you know, it was piece by piece. And those sound clips that you heard were from a video that we had Church of the Resurrection helped us put that together. It was the weekend before the pandemic hit. So we had just gotten our video together. We had all our tools. We were ready to go. 
So then we pivot again because then that's last year we presented the program virtually. So that's how that happened. But so this year that. being fall of 2021, 2022 school year is the first you've been in person doing the workshops. So we did one in-person workshop, which is why we decided we needed a video in September of 2019. We presented to youth group, if you will, it was our very first like full on workshop and our husbands came and helped us. And we left that workshop and we said, what can we do to make this better? And I said, number one, I can't stand in front of a group of kids and tell my story every single time. And I certainly, cause some days I can do it succinctly and some days I'm going to ramble on. I said, we need a video so that we researched the video. We found core agreed to help us. So we started working on that. Then the fall of 2020 spring of 21, we did um, via zoom and we did a ton of workshops that way and it worked and we were happy with it. But the question kept becoming, would it be more powerful if we were in front of them, if we were live there in person, what would the impact be? So then when this school year started fall of 21, we talked to all of the counselors when they reached out and we said, we think if we can come into the building, we think it would be more powerful if we were there in person. And they said, yes, let's do it. So well, we've read the reviews. We have seen (laughs) the impact, the hope that you have given these children, the words that they use to describe it. Like it, it really is. I mean, I had my son get his box last night because I knew we were doing this today. And I'm like, let me just look at it again. I obviously saw it when you brought it home in the fall. And it really is awesome. It's their handwriting. It's their words. It's their putting, they're just writing their identity on themselves. And, you know, kids really don't get that opportunity, you know, as much as they need to. And those affirmations that are in that box really are, I mean, what they can carry with obviously longer than the box would live, right? You know, um, that impact that it made. During our workshop, we tell the kids, you know, in your dark moments, when you're sad, when things just aren't going right, it's hard to remember all the things you love about yourself. It's hard to just say, you know what? I am loved. I am worthy. That, and you know, if it's the devil, if it's sadness, it takes over. So by having those tools in that box, then they can turn to them and they can, I am a good friend. I am a good person. I am generous. I am kind because we forget when we forget when times are hard. So, you know, when you're looking at that box, you know, we encourage the kids. We even tell them that it's not even easy for an adult to do that, you know, to write down 10 things they love about themselves or they're good at. So ask a friend, ask a parent, ask a coach, you know what I'm struggling We tell the kids and they just, they chuckle that on that first workshop that BJ told you about, we had our boxes and we were so excited to show each other. And BJ shows me hers. I'm like, you only filled out five things on the (laughs) IM card. And I I figured she was busy and she goes, "I I couldn't think of anything else. And I tell the kids, oh my gosh, look at her. She's beautiful. She's kind. She's generous. She's creative. She's funny. I said, you forget that about yourself. So you need those reminders to put in your box, to put in your mind that you can draw upon on difficult times. The other thing that we remind the kids of is we don't necessarily live in a society that instills that quality into you. At least for us, we didn't grow up in a generation of people who were like, yes, talk about how great you are. You know, there's always something you can do better, right? The magazine covers it's how to be more beautiful in five steps, how to land a guy in 10. Like there's always a how to one of the episodes we did early on was actually called you are or you're actually a good mom. Mm -hmm. And it was simply because as moms, we are told, like, if you search Google and Pinterest, it's a thousand things, how to be a better mom today and how to love your kids more and how to be this. And we're like, quit. You are a good mom. You're doing the best you can with what you know how. And we forget that just even as individuals, as friends, you are doing the best you can with what you have. Like you don't, you don't have to always 
self-improvement obviously has its place, but you don't always have to think of yourself as that I'm this project. Right. Yes. That you, you know, you are still, no matter where you are, you're still a child of God and you are perfect in his eyes. And we are not told that enough. Well, and yes, perfect in his eyes, not your own eyes. That's when you get attached to the perfectionism of something's always has to be better. And I think we see it in our kids way more than probably we ever did as our, when we, when we were kids. <laughs> but I think the other thing that is driving that is social media, social media. Oh, yeah. We're all a victim of it. We look at other people and we think, wow, why? She, she hasn't aged at all. Why do I look every bit of my 50 years old? And this person that I grew up with looks like she's 30 and look at her. She has everything. But what we don't know is, first of all, that's a filtered photo. Second of all, it's a staged photo. And, and maybe that mom only talks to her kids once every two months, but by golly, she staged this perfect photo to post on Instagram. And I think that we forget that we society, it's just, we're so infiltrated with all of this information and all of these comparisons and look at what it's great that we can know what Susie that I knew in first grade is doing with her life now. But the same time you start to do this comparison game. We talk to the kids a lot about it. We start off our workshops with, you know, number one, this is a big, lofty, uncomfortable discussion. But if we can put mental health on par with physical health and we can talk about it openly, then we're doing that thing called reducing the stigma associated with it. And we will all be better off for that because sometimes just saying what's weighing heavy on you alleviates that burden, just getting it off your chest. And we give them different ways to do that. But we hit right away with the kids and you can see them just go, oh, someone understands. We tell them, we know, your teachers know, your parents know, it is a lot harder to be a kid today than it was when we were growing up. And a lot of that goes along with social media. There's a lot of good that comes from social media, but the idea that everybody's life is better, rosier, prettier than yours, it presents a lot of stress in your life. And we make them laugh because I say, you know, all of my pictures are doctored on social media. So you don't see my gray hair, my wrinkles. And you kids say, that's not what Mrs. Harrell looks like. (laughs) You know, but that's what people present. They, you know, so we take the chance to tell them being human is a series of ups and downs. It's a roller coaster. You have your good days, your bad days. And from your bad days, you learn to conquer the next obstacle. And then no good days last forever. No bad days last forever. And you can see them go, ah, they get it. They get it. But social media makes it seem like you should always be happy. And we tell them it's okay to be sad. It's okay to not be okay. And Melanie, my daughter is in our introduction video. And she said, it's the one thing she wished she could have told Chad. Because our kids are so influenced that they should never be sad. They should never look ugly. They should never, you know, because it will show up on social media or someone will have a video of you doing a silly thing. So it's okay to be sad. It's okay not to be okay. Just those introduction comments, you can see them go, okay. Well, I'm sure you talk about obviously social media, but do the kids talk about the pressure of sports and school and, you know, are those the main pressures? I mean, we've talked about how, and we talked about this in our original discussion, how yes, kids have it harder. And if the parents aren't putting the pressure on them, these kids are putting the pressure on themselves. But you know what? It's not necessarily either the kids or the parents. Some of those pressures come from the school themselves. I have a 17 year old and an almost 16 year old. So they're a junior and a sophomore and they're my bonus children. We don't really do step in our house. They are my kids. My daughters are my husband's like we're a family, but they're a bonus. They get to have two moms. And in the beginning, their mom was, she was really all about, you have to take the advanced class. You have to do the AP. You have to do this. You have to do that. 
she was really about resume building. And I put the kibosh on it. And I said, that's not what we're doing because they don't need that. They are motivated children. They want to do great things. They want to be proud of themselves. They are highly intelligent. They are active. Like they don't need us to push them in that way. And so I changed the narrative and I say to them, are you planning on being a physicist? No. Then why do you need to take some advanced physics class? Like if your schedule's already too full, don't take that class. Take regular physics. Don't take. And my daughter, the youngest, she said, I know that that's what you say, but when I filled out my schedule for next year, my teacher said, why are you taking that class? You should be in the advanced class. Like you need to do more, take more. And she finally had to say, but I don't want to. I'm already taking this advanced class and this advanced class. And this is an AP class. I need downtime. I need something that's going to be easier in my schedule. She had to advocate for herself with them. And I think that schools now have a mixture of that. We talk to so many counselors and teachers, and some of them have the mindset we have of, you know what, it's okay if you don't take advanced trigonometry or whatever it is as a junior, if you decide when you get to college that you're going to need that class, then take it then. But we don't have to just pile it on because it's available. Let them do what's best for them. I think a lot of it is parents telling the kids it's okay. Yeah. And then finding based off of your kid, because all of my kids are so different. So how I talk to my 17 year old and the way I push him is different than the conversation that I'm having with my 16 year old, because she pushes herself over the limit. And so for her, we're pulling the reins saying it's time to slow down. It's time to pause. It's time to kind of get a little downtime Mm -hmm. with the 17 year old. It's okay. Now we need to dip our toe into this water and we need to try this. And now you can, he's great. He just needs the encouragement to jump into that. So it's finding that balance and being able to say your teachers don't know you as well as I know you, your counselor doesn't know you as well as I know you. So we're going to work as a team and we're going to figure it out. But with the Give Me 20 program, you know, the counselors are there listening to the things that we're putting in front of the kids. And they also, a lot of the counselors take our boxes back to do with their families, their youngest, all the way to their college age kids. And some of the um, workshops we've done, the moms even take a box back for their husband, their husband who's struggling to, you know, put that box together. So the people who are giving our kids the advice on the academics they should be involved in and how much pressure they should put on themselves or not put on themselves, they're learning, you know, what the kids are struggling with and just getting through the stress of that. So we're hopeful that by the counselors hearing the things we put in front of the kids with the life boxes and them it resonating with them for their families, that it gets a little, you know, we notch it down just a little bit. We work together so that the kids are being successful academically and emotionally. Right. Well, you're bringing awareness to something that I didn't learn about when I was a teen until I was probably in my 20s. And now that it's much more prevalent in communities, social media, news, I mean, we are hearing it more. The awareness that you're bringing to it is actually bringing the hope and the light back to the kids. And I know this is your guys's purpose and I've, I've seen it and I've heard the way you're growing in these schools and to hear that the staff is doing, you know, the group after the kids have done it and then on to the teachers. And that is our hope, you know, also with this message and he- having our listeners listen in of going, Hey, this is needed at our school. Let's start with just this class. Let's let that spread. I do have a question because you were just talking about putting the boxes in the hands of the kids, putting it in the teachers, you know, the counselors and so forth. How would you use it in a family setting? Because I have four kids and you're talking about being an advocate for a kid, for your kids. I have obviously each child is so different. I have a child with anxiety. I have a child who struggles with school, you know, like those kinds of things. But I would love for you to maybe this is off topic, but give some recommendations to families of how they could do this with just their family network, different ages of kids. 
a lot of times we tell the kids in our workshops, we tell them, we want you to take this box home. This is your box and you can do whatever you want to with it. But we want it to be a conversation starter at home because we recognize that some families aren't having these conversations. We as a family discussed suicide, but we never had conversations about how to be okay with your emotions, how to, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be anxious and working through tools to get you through those things. So we want that box to serve as a conversation starter at home so that maybe Johnny brings the box home from school because he did it at school. But then as a family, everyone's talking about, well, hey, you know what? This is the 10 things he wrote down about himself that he likes about himself. But what about you? What about you, mom? Like, what are 10 things you like about yourself? And the one thing when you're in, especially in a family environment, what BJ and I both think we fell short on with our kids is creating a safe environment for them. I had a 17-year-old son. We had dinner almost every night together. We traveled together. We went to sporting events together. His quality time, you know, that he enjoyed was with his family. But what I contend that I didn't do well was give him a safe space to say how he's really feeling because he would never have wanted to disappoint me by telling me, I'm having these feelings and, you know, I'm not sure that I can go on. And at that point, we would have thought to our kids, my husband and I say it all the time. If Chad said he's just so sad, he's just so depressed, we would have said, what do you have to be depressed about? You know, everything on the outside You know, he was that kid that everybody enjoyed, kids and adults, and he didn't struggle with schoolwork or athletics or friends. And because he didn't struggle, he didn't have to learn resiliency and coping skills to get through those hard times. So when you're talking about families and how they can open up meaningful conversation with their families or with doing a life box, is, you know, everybody has to agree that if there's something there that you don't agree with or upsets you, you're still willing to hear. You're still willing to take what they're saying and work together. My husband, he says all the time that he was a rub some dirt on it kind of dad. You know, you get her, you know, rub some dirt on it. And then when Chad is junior year, you know, his friend group that he'd had since kindergarten was kind of trying dismantling. And instead of us, you know, taking the position on, you know, that's tough. It was just like, you know, but you can, you know, find some new friends, hang out with your lacrosse friends. We wished we would have framed it differently as in, you know what, Chad, that has to be so hard. You've been together since you were in kindergarten and I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers on how we're going to fix it, but we'll fix it together and we'll get through this challenge together. So those are the type things we wish we would have. It's just reframing a little bit. One of the things I I had the pleasure of being in a, a room with Dayton Moore, who's the president of the Royals. And one of the things that he said, because somebody had asked him, like, what as a parent raising young athletes, what is some advice that you would give them? And I was floored and I will never forget this. And he said, we have to remember whatever our kids are going through, whether they lost the ball game, whether they lost a friend, it went through a breakup. That is their crisis. And he says, if you don't treat that, that is as if you lost your job, you didn't get the promotion, you're having a divorce. He said, you have to put those on equal footing. And he Mm -hmm. said, and if you, it gives me goosebumps just thinking about it because it totally changed. Like, oh my gosh, like when my daughter doesn't get you know, she thought she got first place in gymnastics and she's crushed. Like if I remember comforting, I'm like, Hey, get, you'll get them next time. Right. Like that's what we naturally want to say. But if I go, Hey baby, I know it's sad and I'm sorry. And it's going to hurt, you know, let's tell me how you feel. What do you want to do? You know, but like that mm, makes me turn because the rub some dirt on it, right. Walk it off. Those are things that we grew up with. I think it's easy for us to look at those situations because as adults, we have that life experience to know that the fact that you didn't make the football team or that that boy broke up with you a week before prom, whatever it is, 
Like we know that a year from now, two years from now or whatever it is, or even six months, right. Won't matter at all. Like you could care less. Exactly. That moment, it is the worst thing that they've ever experienced because they yeah. don't have a bigger life experience to compare it to. Right. Right. It's when you think about it that way, you, it does help you kind of accept that. Yeah, this is a big thing for them. And we have to work through that. Right. And it takes time to slow down. It's the matter of slowing down and not just not writing it off, but you know what I mean? You know, it's, it, it's work. It's work. That's what it is. Don't be dismissive to their feelings because their feelings are valid. Yep. Absolutely. The whole thing of creating that safe environment. And if you go out, we have our website, it's keepthesparkalive.org abbreviated to ktsa.org. We have a copy of a family discussion guide that was created by Church of the Resurrection that kind of walks a family through how you create a safe environment and be receptive to their feelings and you know what you do with them. It's just a little pamphlet and it's really well done. So if anyone needs it, they can get it there. It's a PDF and they can pull it down. Well, and I think that's super helpful because one of our questions was, how do you encourage parents to start having a conversation? And I think a lot of parents prior to obviously me having this experience and having this conversation, it's, you don't want to say the word around your, your little kids. You don't want to bring the topic up. You don't want to put the idea in their heads, right? You know, that is something that we've been again, told that, Hey, if you talk too much about something, they're going to learn about it more or so forth. But what the experience that you guys have given kids and even us, and obviously from this document and other resources that you have is tools to start to have the conversation that, Hey, let's look at your life from a positive, hopeful, light-filled perspective. And I think we dismiss that way too often. Like you said, we are happy. Kids are happy. Kids are successful. We just watched the video recently on the Today Show of Harry Miller, the, you know, um, football player and him telling the story, valedictorian, you know, football player, like doing missionary work, just an incredible child of God and very vocal, but struggled so deeply. Those stories give people hope that obviously him being able to share that. And I think That's really one of the reasons we wanted to talk about this project because it does bring that hope. But I think too, what we have to remember is what we learn from Harry's story is that everybody struggles. It doesn't matter how successful you are, how awesome of a person you are, how much of a believer in God you are. Everybody has a time in their life where they struggle. It is the natural human condition, but we make mental health out to be such a big, scary topic instead of from an early age saying everybody has a brain, everybody has mental health, but mental wellness is a concern and everybody's mental wellness is just as important as their physical well-being. From an early age, you're taking your kids to the doctor and they're having well visits. And at that well visit, they're checking to make sure that they're growing at a proper rate, they're developing properly. But nowhere along the way did somebody say, How's your kid's brain? So I think we as a society have to learn to change that mindset and know that when we're talking about our kids' physical well being, it's head to toe, it's what's happening inside of their skull that's just as important as whether or not their weight is at the normal range or their height is at a normal range. Like everything has to work together. And the reason why everything worked out for Harry, the way it did is because he had some people in his life that listened to him and said, you know what, buddy, we're going to work through this. We're going to find you the help you need. But he felt, not only did he have the strength to say the words out loud and say, I can't do this anymore. But he also had somebody receptive enough to listen to what he had to say, hear his words, feel his pain and say, together, we're going to fix this problem. Not everybody gets that. So when we're doing these type things with the kids, you know, we do our give me 20 middle school, sixth grade and up, but we're also trying to put in place programs. We're funding programs in the school district, Project Happiness. We're going to do um, sources of strength for elementary school. We're piloting next year in our school district. 
And in those programs that were put in front of the young kids, the elementary school kids, we're not necessarily focusing on suicide prevention. We're focusing on coping skills and resiliency and building the skill set to regulate your emotion and be able to say, okay, I've had this bad thing happened to me, but I'm not going to listen to the inner meanie that the kid said. I'm not going to listen to my inner meanie. I'm going to focus on what's good and being grateful. So we're, you know, we're starting to put things in place to help the kids address their mental health without really saying, you know, suicide prevention, because the earlier we start, the better off we all are. It gives the kids the fortitude to ask for help, to know when they can't handle it on their own. I can attest to that. And I've seen the fruit of that in young, young children. I mean, my daughter's seven and she's been in therapy since five and it's been amazing. The tools that she's been given, you know, and the resources that we have gotten through that and the way we talk as a family and the way we communicate. I mean, I've already seen just the fruit of just changing a simple phrase, words, how you approach something it really does make a difference. And one of our um, fellow moms, our good friend Donna, her granddaughters, in it was in um, late preschool, they learned breathing exercises in preschool. If Chad would have just learned how to breathe when he was so upset and anxious. And Donna said, oh, yeah, my girls are doing, my grandchildren are learning how to breathe in preschool. So if we, you know, we're not saying, oh, we're trying to give you a suicide prevention, you know, technique. We're teaching them how to breathe, how to calm themselves down, you know, both their body and their minds. You know, when she said it, I'm like, yes, that's what we need. These are all tools that we all need from children to adults. Um, And one of the things that we just talked about this week in therapy was my daughter's so fortunate that we gave her those tools ahead of time. You know, there are women 30, 50, 70 that never got those tools still don't know them. Right. And we're still reversing trauma. We're working through things to be the best adults that we can because we didn't have those tools when we were younger, you know, so it it is, it's bringing more awareness and it's bringing more opportunity to help move kids. I mean, heck, we just lived through a pandemic and are we still in it? I don't know. Um, (laughs) I mean, we're still in that season of these kids still need the tools. We're going to work through a lot moving forward with these young kids, teens and beyond. One of the things you had just touched on, and we had talked about it before was the statistics. The assumption is that all kids have a mental health disorder who choose to take their life when in all actuality, 50% are the only ones that had it. You know, some, the assumption is they're getting in trouble or they're suffering from some mental, you know, or an addiction or something from the research that you have done. Obviously you guys have, you know, put the time and, and effort into that. What would you say the leading cause is to teens making the decision or is it just that general impulse? I don't think that anybody can say what the leading cause is. It's every kid's story is different. Different. Every kid's story is unique. And just the same way that all your children and all unique individuals and you parent them all differently, we can look at every kid's story. And some parents are able to say, my child took their life because of this. I can't say that. I don't know. Four and a half years later, I, I don't know why my child was happy at nine o'clock in the morning, making plans with her sister to go to Disney world over Christmas break. And by two o'clock that day, she had taken her life. I don't know why. And I'll find out someday, but you know, I don't think, I think for every kid, the, their life experience, their reaction to what is happening in their world, what their pain is inside of them is so unique to them that we don't know. And all that we can do is number one, remind them that they are loved and that they matter, but also let them know that there's people who want to help them and that their life is worth living. If they don't know that, that's where things get really dicey and dangerous. And with a lot of times there's a trigger, but, you know, a trigger of a girlfriend breaking up with you or not being able to go to the party. 
other kids have had that happen to them and they work through it. So you can't really say, oh, it's because, of you know, a girlfriend broke up with them or because he wasn't allowed to go to the party because millions of kids have that happen to them. It's just they what? navigate through that darkness. They have the tools to get them through it, their resiliency, their coping, their fortitude. You know, so when you say, you know, is there you know, something we see. No, but our kids didn't have what they needed to get through those dark moments. And we want to make sure that doesn't happen to other parents when they don't let their son go to a party or they have a daughter whose boyfriend breaks up with them. Do you think one of the things that I think social media has given our society without it being the full intent of social media, right? Is this instant gratification feel. And the word gratification is, it's that instantaneous. We live in a world where if something, a microwave society, Mm -hmm. do you think that that plays in how we used to have to wait so much longer for things? And do you think that that plays a part And that statistic of 20 minutes of that impulse, do you think that that plays a part of why it is such a, I mean, it's such a short amount of time. I mean, there's a sitcoms are longer than that Mm. where they're making that decision. When we started this whole process, there was a conversation that Sylvia and I had early on and I was like 20 minutes, 20, I can't even decide what to wear in 20 minutes. And you're deciding to end your life in 20 minutes. Like I, my brain couldn't process that, but you're right. Our children don't know any different. They live in a world where they can turn on the TV and they don't have to wait for their favorite cartoon to come on. They can watch it anytime they want because they're it's playing somewhere. We can order whatever we want and have it door dashed to our house in 30 minutes. We can order whatever we want from Amazon and it's delivered to our door the next day. We as a society don't wait well for anything. Right. Why would our kids know that emotions don't work the same way? Why would our kids know that I'm sad today, but in an hour, whatever this horrible feeling is I have will level out. They don't know that because they are used to everything just happening so quickly, but that's where the tools come back into place. That's where if I could do everything all over again, as that young mom, I would approach emotions much differently. And that's what we would do. We would learn to sit in the sadness And how to be okay with that feeling or how to use our mouth to verbalize those words instead of everything being reactionary. We live in a reactionary society yeah, and we don't know how to just wait. That is very incredible interpretation and advice and parenting. And I'm sitting here going, yes, taking note. (laughs) And I'm sure many of our listeners are too. Give me 20 as one piece of what you guys have been doing. Our listeners, Joko is Johnson County and all of the things that you have been doing the support, like you have a statistics. Would you please share the difference that with all of those things in place, what our County specifically, the statistics in that? You know, we've gone through this just horrific time of, mental health struggles going through the roof and actually the suicide rates going up around the country. And you can see kind of why that's happened with the isolation, the uncertainty, the scariness, you know, you can see how our kids have struggled during the pandemic. But here in Johnson County, when suicides rates have increased across Kansas and Missouri, In Johnson County, in it was March of 2020 to December of 2020, we actually had a 33% reduction in teen suicide, and we've stayed at that rate through 2021. In our world, even one suicide is too many suicides. So we'll continue our endeavors to make sure that we get zero suicides in our teens. But that hasn't happened just because of family foundations or the Give Me 20 program. 
effectively our community decided that we were all going to lock arms and embrace this challenge. So we did things 2018 Zero Reasons Why came into being. It's a team-led campaign, a mobilization storytelling campaign, where they're reducing the stigma associated with mental health and suicide. So if you go to zerereasonswhy.org, they have a playbook. They have it completely laid out on how we did this in our community, how we engaged our community members to have this big conversation and how we're taking direction from our kids, from our teens. If you have a listener in Illinois or Florida or Texas, and they say, how, how did Zero Reasons Why do that in Johnson County? They put their playbook out there and it's on their website. But it's more than that. We are mental health organization. Johnson County Mental Health has done things like addressing the kids. We have a crisis line that is incredible in Johnson County. The kids can call the crisis line if they're just mm, don't know how to handle that their friends said something that they're uncomfortable with. You know, should they worry about their friend? You know, can they give Can the crisis line give them some pointers on how to help their friend? The kids are calling it and using it. We had an example of one of the teens at the high school had heard our program, contacted us because they were worried about their friend. Luckily, BJ was still up. She walked this teen through contacting Johnson County Crisis Line. The crisis line asked a lot of questions on how their friend was doing, and they decided that they needed to do a well check on her friend, and she probably saved her friend's life. So we have that going on. Our churches have engaged Mm -hmm. that, you know, we've talked about CORE helping us with our video, and they have a goal that they wanted to reduce the suicide rate by half by 25. 30, I'm forgetting the number. It was by 2030. So everybody is locking arms and taking input from our kids Mm -hmm. on how we can approach this crisis. And it's been working. We train peer leaders Mm -hmm. to be observant with their friends and how to contact a trusted adult. Mm -hmm. And we have trusted adults in all these schools that the kids can reach out to. So it's a community-wide effort. There's been no one piece that we can point to. It's just the community has been working together that has brought our teen suicide rate down. Absolutely. And I've, I've seen it in many other areas too, outside of the school and activities that the kids are involved in, you know, the resources are there and you guys have done such an incredible job bringing awareness to us. And I'm so thankful that we got to experience personally, or I did personally, um, your workshop. But my last question is for our listeners, you've already kind of talked about it, but who are not in the Johnson County area, whether they're, you know, across the globe, something, just a different state, how can they be a part of your mission? We talked about the funding program. Can you give a little bit more info on that? So I want to just say one thing real quick and all of the things that Sylvia just talked about, there's one thing that I think is important to understand is we're seeing all of that engagement in this community and in this general area, but not every community has that. We've seen firsthand that it takes churches and schools and the community at large and people who have a willingness to invest in programs that can be implemented into the schools And everybody is kind of supporting the same mission from different angles. But if you are in a community that isn't happening, that they're still not having open conversations about mental health, and they're not embracing the need for change, it is a struggle to get anything in place. So it it takes not just one person to say, I want to change mental health in this community, it takes everybody buying into that and taking a piece of the pie to make it happen. And if you look just outside of Johnson County, you'll see that that's the case. It's not happening 
globally, it's happening in very small, little tiny nuggets. And we have to get those nuggets to start to grow outside of that one place. And we would say all the time, we need a champion, but your listeners are champions. Yes. They can take these programs or ideas to their school or their church. And it, it's a seed. It begins to grow, but it needs champions. I think that the hope in that is that so many times we think that there's only one avenue, right? That we think it's only our, our community, our elected officials. We, we need them to have the community. No, you we can go to your, well, you do, right? But if they're, if they're not listening, then you go to every single church that's on the corner and you can talk to them. And if they're not listening, then you go to the schools and the counselor. Like there's so many avenues that we forget where all those pieces, and then somebody will buy in. Somebody will say something. Somebody will stand up. And when they do it, you just need that one, right? Because when you get that one and that second one, then everybody's like, oh, Okay. That's what I think we get in this one track mind. Oh, well, my elected officials not listening to me. They're not listening. They're less listening. I tried. Mm -hmm. There's so many other ways that you can uh, bring awareness and and start the process of finding those champions in your community. Absolutely. Okay. So will you let our listeners know one, your, your foundation websites, they can support your individual foundations. We've also mentioned the give me 20.net, which is the box piece of that, but then also where can they find you on Facebook or any other social media where they can follow you and your stories to kind of give you the breakdown of it. Give me 20. It's got its own website. Give me 20.net, as you mentioned, or you can find us on um, Facebook and Instagram. Give me 20.lifebox. And that's a great way to kind of see what we're doing and what schools we're in and, and kind of how the program is growing. Give Me 20 is supported by our individual foundations. My foundation is Shifting Gears for Reagan. Our website is shiftinggearsforreagan.com. The exact same thing on Facebook and Instagram, Shifting Gears for Reagan. And then Sylvia's foundation is Keep the Spark Alive, which can be found at ktsa.org. And social media is... Keep the Spark. Keep the Spark. On Facebook. All of the things that we feel could help someone on this journey to positive mental health are under ktsa.org resources, suicide prevention. And then for your listeners who may have lost someone to suicide, we also have um, a section on suicide survivor resources, because it's important to have things that you can turn to when you're struggling with your mental health or you're experiencing this um, nightmare. And I just want to add real quick, something that we haven't touched on as we talked about our individual foundations, but, you know, our goal is more boxes and more hands. That's, it's a little box with a giant mission. And the more boxes we put in kids' hands, the more lives we feel like we can save. That costs money. And not all schools can afford to host this program. The supplies cost money. And so as this program continues to grow, it's being funded by our individual foundations. So whether you want to support Give Me 20 or you want to support Shifting Gears for Reagan or Keep the Spark Alive, those three things are what's paying to put those boxes in people's hands. So we have a wish list that you can find on our website, giveme20.net, that's for Amazon. Or you can go to our individual websites for our foundations and learn about events that we host. We each do one fundraiser a year, both of which are in June. And that the money that we raise with those fundraisers is what funds all of the programs that we're putting into the schools today. That's incredible. Well, thank you both for being so courageous to come on here. I know you've done this before over the last four and a half years, but we thank you for sharing your time and your stories and just your hearts with us, because we know our listeners are going to take so many incredible nuggets home to their families and give them each all just some extra hope and light in their day-to-day with their kids. We are so honored that BJ and Sylvia shared their stories, hearts, and resources with us today. 
we actually want to leave you with one more piece of information that BJ and Sylvia had shared with us outside um, of our conversation that we thought was really impactful. And it was that the counselors at the schools had told them that typically when they do a suicide prevention activity, they're prepared to have a large number of kids reach out immediately afterwards. It is a heavy topic and hard for them to process. And the kids often feel overwhelmed with emotions. However, this is their second year at the middle schools and the counselors mentioned they don't worry about the surge after hashtag give me 20 day. The kids leave happy and hopeful. That is in a nutshell what they have prayed this program would be. They want to inspire kids to find hope despite the darkness. And in case you or someone you know has had suicidal thoughts, we encourage you to reach out to the National Suicide Prevention Hotline, 1-800-273-8255, or text HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741. And if you're one of our local Johnson County listeners, there is a hotline that you can call 913- 268-0156. And last, in case you are again wondering, is this something that kids really need and should really be talking about? We want to leave you with two other reviews and insights of how their program and workshop has impacted kids that it's been presented to. This presentation impacted me very personally as someone who has had suicidal thoughts before and has struggled with mental health a lot. It really gave me a new insight and reminded me that I'm not alone and I matter. I think what you guys are doing is amazing. And I think that you both could be saving lives. It impacted me by making the point that suicide doesn't end pain. It passes it on to others. And that is something that I wouldn't want to do to others. The box is a great idea because it's something simple, but can be very impactful. You both are very strong and amazing people. And they absolutely are. We had the privilege of talking with them and they're just incredible, courageous women. So that is the end of this episode. And we have some news that next week we are wrapping up our season one as Unlikely Housewives. Yep. But don't get too tearful yet because (laughs) we will have a summer series coming to you starting in June, but you'll hear about it more next week. Yes. Have a great day, listeners. Whether we made you laugh or cry today, we pray you feel appreciated, bolder and braver than yesterday, stronger and more faithful for tomorrow, but living in who you were made to be today. Join our online community on Facebook. Find our link in the show notes. Be sure to review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy listening. Until next time, housewives, we give you permission to walk confidently, freely, and be intentional in your slippers or stilettos.